Good morning. What a powerful time of worship. Um, I want us to open our Bibles together today. We're going to be looking at Acts today. Acts in chapter 16. We're going to be continuing our theme of looking at the subject of worship today, but as you're turning there... Um, I'd, I'd like to take just a moment of personal privilege to ask for prayer. Uh, as Veterans Day, I just can't get this out of my mind. It's very near and dear to my heart. And our first prayer request, perhaps selfishly so, is that my uh, son will be stationed. He's getting ready to get orders that my son will be stationed somewhere in the continental United States. The reason for that is because he is also getting ready to propose, getting ready to get married, and he doesn't want to do that overseas right away. So please pray for him and that. His name is Michael. And then another prayer request that I just can't get out of my mind on Veterans Day. I'm going to have to tell a short story for this one. But there was a man I served with. His name was Joe. And Joe was a man who was very near and dear to my heart. We were very close. We did everything together. I was from out in the woods, out in the country, and he was from Baltimore in the middle of the city. And we served together. We uh, got married not very far apart from each other. And then uh, we had our first children within months of each other. And his wife lived next to my uh, wife. I say that we all lived, you know, I lived there too when I was home. Uh, we were never home, right? So the ladies would hang out together. And Debbie and her are still friends to this day, but Joe was lost and his wife was lost. And Joe, after he got out of the military, kind of uh, began to lose his mind. He, he never was right after that. And he wound up committing suicide. And his son never got to know him. Son's name is Joe too, Joe Jr. My prayer request this morning is that you pray for Joe Jr., I've been talking with Joe Jr. on Facebook. He's 22 years old. He's got nobody. This, this kid, the only people he gets advice from are kids, street kids that he's kind of with. He's 22. I know he's not a kid anymore, but um, he's the same age as my oldest son. I used to play together. And I've been trying to share Jesus with him through Facebook. So my prayer request has been pretty specific lately. It's that God would allow me with my work that there would be a work assignment for me that I would have to go to Baltimore so that I could talk to Joe face to face. And it has to be a work assignment. I can't just go because then if I showed up, it would totally scare him off. Very skittish. But if I'm there for work and I can say, Joe, let's go have lunch, then I can share the Jesus with him in person. So... I appreciate you allowing me a moment to take time to ask that prayer request of you. Uh, but I appreciate it if you would pray for Joe, his salvation, and also pray for me that I'll be able to get assigned to go up there for a day or two or something like that. Well, as we begin uh, talking about worship today, and uh, continuing on that, we're going to begin in verse 16. And I, what I want to look at is worshiping through the midst of opposition. Worshiping through the midst of opposition. 
It's a very important subject. It's an important thing that we need to understand about the subject of worship. And as we think about that, there are a few different ways to worship. Everybody worships. Did you know everybody would say, well, what about lost people? They worship too. Everybody worships something because we were created for worship. God created us for that purpose. And as a result, everybody worships something. There are people all over the world today on Sunday and other days of the week as well <coughs> that worship on different days. But there are people all over the world that worship, and there's three different types of worship I want to tell you about real quickly. First is, is worship of false gods and idols. And there are people all over that are worshiping idols. There are Hindus all over the world today that will worship idols in their home and that will worship idols in public gatherings and they will worship these idols. And then there are people that will worship the idols and the false gods. They're pretty much the same thing. They will worship these false gods all over. There are Muslims everywhere worshiping at the throne of Allah and Allah is not God. It is a false God. There are uh, Jehovah's Witness and Mormons all over here in the United States that are worshiping a false God because they understand a different Jesus and they, they don't have the same Jesus that we have. And they're worshiping a false God. And, and I'm not saying this about them because to demean them or to put them down or to say that they're terrible or any of that kind of thing. Thank you, brother. I'm not saying that for that purpose at all. The reason I'm saying that is because of this, is because Allah and these idols and this different Jesus that the Jehovah's Witness and Mormons worship is not worthy of our worship. And it is not, he is, th those false gods are not worthy of worship. And one of the reasons we evangelize and one of the reasons we reach our neighbor and one of the reasons we reach out to people around us is because only God is worthy of worship. Only Him is worthy of worship. He is the only one on the throne that deserves worship and honor and glory and praise. And the people we look at that are worshiping false God, we ought not to look at with disdain, but we ought to look at them with love. And we ought to look at them in such a way with a broken heart that says, come into the fold and worship the true God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the only Savior. So there are those who worship false gods and idols. And then there are those who worship self. And that is probably the, the main God in the United States today, I would think, is those who worship self. Now, those who worship self is a tricky one. It, what, it's what happens. It's when we put ourselves on the throne and we do everything that suits us and it's all about us and it's all for us and everything is surrounded uh, that has to do with us. It's very me-centered sort of a deal. And I have to say to you, this is the hard part. This is the hard part. We can spot false worship when we see people worshiping idols like Allah, who is not God at all. And we, see, we can see people when they're worshiping idols in their home like the Hindus. We can look at that and we can say, we know that's, that's false worship. 
And we might even be able to look into that and see and say, you know, yeah, people that aren't going to church and they're wrapped up in materialism and they're wrapped up in just partying every day. We can, we can look at that and we may even be able to say about that, that that is also false worship. That's great. Now I have two, I get real thirsty. I'm covered. <laughs> but what happens is this is what we don't often see is that in churches all over that are under the name of Christian, oftentimes people are coming in there and also worshiping only themselves at that throne of worship. It happens. It happens. And it's when in some churches all over the world, people want to make God in their image and they want to worship a God that, uh, that they want to take parts of the Scripture and cut parts out of it and, and only worship the parts that suit them and only worship the parts that fit them. And, and then they take God and they make God in man's image instead of man being made in God's image. And then what we do is we begin to worship ourselves. So how do we avoid that? How do we make sure that, that we're not doing that? We don't want to do that, right? So how do we make sure we're not doing that? Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at an example of what great worship really looks like in the midst of opposition. And as we look at that worship in the midst of opposition, we'll see one of the best examples of true worship in the Bible through Paul and Silas. The scripture says this, and this is the opposition they faced. It says, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Now, let's, let's just examine this just for a moment so that we can see the opposition that they faced. The first thing I noticed about this passage is it says, now it happened as we went to prayer. It happened as we went to prayer. You know, a lot of stuff happens as we are on our way to prayer. <laughs> and sometimes I, want, I think we wonder in church why certain things don't happen, why certain folks don't get saved, and why certain moves of God just don't sweep across and really happen. And the reason is because if you look through the Scripture and you read through the book of Acts and you read through the Scripture, one thing you'll find a consistent pattern of is that stuff happens when we're on our way to prayer. <laughs> and stuff happens when we are praying. That's one thing I appreciate about being here and worshiping with you guys. Every time, I, every time I'm preaching here, I know that there are people praying for me while I'm preaching. That is tremendous because stuff happens while we're on our way to prayer. Now, it says that this woman said this and did this for many days. That leads me to believe that they were on their way to prayer many days. It wasn't just a one day a week kind of a thing. 
These people were on their way to prayer every day and this woman would follow them every single day. And the first way that the enemy tries to derail us is this, is he distracts us from the mission. He distracts us from the mission. This woman was distracting to them. Did you ever think about the fact that it is possible to speak truth at the wrong time, in the wrong way, in the wrong spirit, and be completely wrong. Think about it. What was it that this woman said that was wrong? She said, these men are servants of the Most High God. True. And proclaim to us the way of salvation. True. And she was saying it by a demonic spirit. If that doesn't blow your mind, it should. <laughs> Because what it teaches us is this, it teaches us the truth of this, that it is not just the truth that we need, but it is what Jesus said, which is the truth and the Spirit. We need to speak the truth of the right times in appropriate ways when the Spirit of God is leading us. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit of God to apply the truth to our lives. And you may have experienced this. You may have seen people that do this. And you say, man, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what they're saying that's wrong because it seems like everything they're saying is right, but something is just wrong. That's the way it was with this woman. Something was wrong. She was possessed with an evil spirit. Trying to distract them from their mission. And false worship does that. One way we can tell whether or not worship is genuine in our lives is this, as we do a self-examination. I'm not talking about examining everyone else around you. I'm not talking about that. That's not our job. Our job is to examine whether we're worshiping appropriately ourselves. And one way you can tell whether or not you're worshiping appropriately is does it distract from the mission? Does it distract from the truth? Does it distract from Jesus Christ by pointing to yourself? That, that's what this woman was doing. In her form of worship, as she was proclaiming all of this, this false worship was pointing to herself. And anytime our worship points to anything other than Jesus, it is a false worship. Anytime it points to anything other, anytime it points to ourselves. Now it went on for many days, and Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach us customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive. Now, the next thing he tries to do is he tries to defeat us with lies. Tries to distract us from the mission. Then the enemy tries to defeat us with lies. And they drag them into the marketplace and begin to tell lies about them. Then the multitude rose up with them and the magistrates. And they tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. 
And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So he tries to distract us from the mission. He tries to defeat us with lies. And then he tries to destroy us with pain. What we're going to look at today is worshiping in the midst of that kind of opposition. The kind of opposition that is distracting. The kind of opposition in our lives that tries to defeat us by people lying about us. And then the kind of opposition that tries to defeat us and destroy us with pain, personal pain in our lives. I I want you to get a good picture of what happened to these men. They were dragged into the marketplace. They were publicly humiliated. Their clothes were ripped off of them. And then they were beaten with rods. They were beaten with rods to an inch of their life. And then they were dragged into prison. And because of the charge against them was so serious, they dragged them in there and they put them in the inner prison. And that means in the dungeon portion of the prison, okay? And they fastened their feet in stocks. And what that means, it's not like they just, okay, they chained them up. No. When they fasten their feet in stocks, what that means is it was a torture device. So what they would do is they would spread their legs as far apart as they could get them. And they would chain them to either wall or to the floor to where their legs were spread apart to produce painful cramping and excruciating pain after they had been beaten and ripped naked within an inch of their life and they're laying in prison. That's where they are. Now, I don't know what kind of pain you're experiencing in your life. I hope it's not that severe, but I don't know. You may be going through something in your life and you say, I wish it was that instead of this. I don't know. But, but I can tell you this, whenever you're in the middle of that pain, Satan's purpose is to keep you from worship because he knows that worship will help. Okay? You say, how will worship help? Just watch this. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. That's insane. Think about that. I would have been praying too, but I would have been praying, God, please deliver me. I would have been praying something like that, maybe crying out to God in such a way. But they were praying and praising, singing hymns to God. Singing hymns to God in the middle of that. I don't know if you've ever been in a jail. I have, not by being incarcerated, but visiting people. But if you've ever been in jail, it's one of the loudest places around there. It's loud. The sound echoes in jails because there's nothing but hard concrete walls. And it is noisy. And it is vile. And you can't hear anything. And the smell, I'm sure, in this place especially, was horrible. And I, I think of people that, and the way we worship today and how different it is in our comfortable pews and our comfortable chairs and, and with the air condition just right in a beautiful building and a wonderful sound system. 
<laughs> There's nothing wrong with all of those things. But as I think about that, I think about people that it just, it, it makes me laugh, but it probably should make me cry that I've heard people say about things in worship before. I have one lady who said she stopped coming to worship and wouldn't come and worship there anymore. She found a different church because we painted the walls and she didn't like the smell of the fresh paint. I had one man tell me that he was leaving the church and wasn't worshiping there anymore. He tried it out for a while, but didn't want to do that anymore because the lighting was too bright and he prefers to worship in a darker environment. And I thought, my goodness, what are you trying to hide that you're going to need to worship in the dark? And I think about, I wonder what Paul and Silas would have said to them. Okay, get where they're worshiping. Get the pain that they're worshiping through. And if they're worshiping in that kind of pain, in that kind of distress, in the middle of an environment, I've heard a lot of people say, I can't worship because I know some people around me are doing evil things, and I know some people are not right with God, and I can't worship in that environment where everybody's not holy. Well, then you're not going to worship till you get to heaven, friend. Because let me tell you something, everybody in the place where he was was unholy, unrighteous, and vile. But they were still worshiping. They were worshiping in the dark dungeon of life. They were worshiping in the midst of the most severe pain imaginable. They were worshiping in the midst of humiliation and, and, and cold and nakedness and peril. And they're worshiping. You know what that leads me to believe? It leads me to believe that the basis for their worship had to be something other than their own comfort and joy. Right? Like the basis of their worship could not have been the environment was good. The, the, the basis of their worship couldn't have been that the tone was set just right. The basis of their worship could not have been that, you know what, that the mood was set, everything was set, and everything was so beautiful that they worshiped. It could not have been that. The basis of their praying and singing hymns had to be something bigger than all of that. It had to be the basis of Jesus Christ and what he had done and who he was. It had to be solely on the basis of God and it had to be nothing to do with their circumstances, their situation, their location, or the people that were around them. It couldn't have been any of those things to produce this sort of genuine worship. The only thing it could have been was that their basis of worship had to be a person named Jesus Christ. That's the only reason they would have had. A resurrected Savior is the only reason they would have had to worship. And it lays out this principle for us that I want us to get today, and this is really the... the main thing I want us to get. If we don't get anything else, this is what I want us to get. And it's that when we are in pain and we're going through distress, we need to worship God anyway. And here's why. One reason, of course, because He deserves it and He's worthy of it. <laughs> That's the main reason. But I want to tell you what it does for you. 
if we can pause and just be selfish for a moment, I want to tell you what worship does for you. Genuine worship brings you into the throne room of someone who is greater than whatever it is you're facing. See, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know how severe it is, and I don't mean to make light of that at all. You may be going through one of the most difficult, trying times anyone's ever heard of. But whatever it is you're going through, I can promise you this. Whenever you worship the King of kings and Lord of lords and enter into His throne room, you are in the throne room of one who is bigger than your pain, who is bigger than your distractions, who is bigger than your problems, who is bigger than everything you are facing. And whenever you get into the throne room of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, everything else pales in comparison to who he is. He's that big. In fact, he may be the only thing bigger than what you're facing. But it doesn't matter. Because <laughs> he's still bigger. So, we worship anyway in the midst of that. And I want to tell you a few things that happen when we worship anyway. When we worship anyway, this is what happens. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Can I just tell you a truth? <laughs> the truth is this, is that oftentimes a lost and hurting and dying world is not interested in observing our worship when we're when we're driving the Lexus and when everything is going okay in our lives and our 401ks are on the top and when we have everything we've ever wanted and we have good health and we're enjoying life to the fullest and it seems like everything is going our way. Oftentimes in those times of life, and those times aren't bad, that's fine to go through those great times. I'm for them. But when we go through those great times of life, oftentimes the world around us is not interested in seeing us worship in that environment because they look at us and they say, well, of course, everything is great for you. Of course you would worship God. He's been good to you. Of course you would worship Him. But... The Bible says that when they were praying and singing hymns to God, the prisoners were listening to them. That's interesting. Because they knew what distress and pain and horror they were going through. They saw them dragged into the middle of the prison, naked and bleeding. They saw what they had just went through, and yet they still were stopping to listen. Now, prisons, as I said, are loud places. And prisoners are people that usually don't listen real well. And they really, a lot of times, frankly, don't care what you have to say. That's a fact. But I can imagine the yelling, the fighting, the screaming that goes on in prisons. I can imagine the noise in this place. I can imagine how it all is. And then somebody heard something going on they had never heard in prison before. They had never heard it. They had never seen it. It was something strange to their ears that they were totally unfamiliar with. And they heard the sound of praying and praising and singing hymns rising from two bro broken 
broken, bleeding people in their midst. And they heard this and I could hear a hush over the whole prison as everyone began to be quiet as they were astounded at what they had heard. And the world is the same way with us whenever we worship in the midst of our pain and our suffering and our sorrow. They look at us and they say, I haven't seen that before. What is it that you are doing? What is it that causes you to worship that is bigger than what you are going through? So one result of that kind of powerful worship is that the prisoners begin to listen. The prisoners begin to listen. The prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. The other thing that begins to happen when we worship that way is it shakes the foundations of that which holds us. It shakes the foundation of that which the enemy is trying to do in our life. God, the enemy does not want us to engage in powerful worship that centers on the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not want us to worship the Father in spirit and in truth because when we begin to do that, it begins to shake the very foundation of what He is trying to do in our life to hold us and isolate us and keep us from our mission. The next thing that it does is this. It says... The foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened. I love the way it says all the doors were open. Because that's another effect of powerful worship. Another effect of powerful worship. How many of you need some doors to be opened? I know that we go through some things in our life and we just don't know what we're going to do and it seems like we're shut up in a prison and it seems like we can't get out of something that is just horrible going on in our lives. But then when we begin to worship powerfully, when we begin to worship correctly, when we begin to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, doors began to open for us and maybe some doors we had never thought about or seen of or heard of. And doors began to be opened. Look what else happened. It said all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Everyone's chains were loosed. Friend, we live in a world around us that there are people chained up everywhere. Paul and Silas were probably the only free men in the middle of the prison. They were, they were free in the Lord Jesus Christ. They may have had chains on their arms, but they were free before the chains came off. But people around them were chained with deeper chains than that. And there are people in your neighborhoods and there are people in this community and there are people all around you, maybe even some people sitting in this church right now, that if you were to be honest with yourself and before God, you would say this, you would say, you know what, I'm completely bound I'm completely bound by some addiction in my life, by some habit in my life, by something in my life that just has me completely chained. Let me tell you something. You need to get in the presence of an almighty God. He is the one who sets the chains loose and the prisoner free. He can do it. When I was a younger man, I dealt with all kinds of addictions in my life. And let me tell you something about that. I was a, I was a teenage alcoholic and other things as well. And let me tell you about the one who sets a captive free. 
I had heard all my life that once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic and that you're just in some sort of state of remission. And then I read what the Scripture says when Jesus said, whoever the Son sets free is truly free. And I thought, my goodness, you know what? The truth is, is that if you're an alcoholic, you'll always be an alcoholic unless the miracle happens that the Son sets you free because when the Son sets you free, you are truly free. If you set yourself free, you may be in remission. If you set yourself free, you may be doing okay today. If you set yourself free, you may, maybe you haven't drank in 15 years, but you're still an alcoholic. But let me tell you something. Whoever the sun sets free is free indeed because he knows how to do it and he does it right. <laughs> he does it right. The chains fall off. You know, it goes on to say this. This is the final thing I want to share with you that happens whenever we worship powerfully. It says in the keeper of the prison, verse 27, awakening from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light and he ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must, must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. <laughs> the last thing that happens when we worship like that that I want to show you is that people start to get saved. That's a lot of folks who start to get saved. When people began to see genuine worship in the midst and through the midst of pain and suffering, then folks began to come to Jesus because the genuineness of that is something they've never seen. This soldier began to kill himself, and the reason he was going to kill himself is because he knew they were going to kill him anyway in a worse way than that. Oh, he had nothing else to live for, so he'd given all, all hope up. He was getting ready to commit suicide. And then what happened? <laughs> he was saved. And he actually brought them out of prison and washed their stripes. He didn't care what the punishment was after that for what he had done because he was saved. He was in the presence of somebody bigger than even what he would face at the hands of the Romans. Him and his whole household were saved. So the point is this. Worship anyway. I want to share with you this as, as we finish up. There may be something that's hindering that worship in your life. Because sin will stop that kind of worship in your life. 
You say, I don't know, pastor. I don't know if that's true because, you know, doesn't God accept everybody even though we're sinners? Well, yes, that's true when we repent. But did you know that the scripture also says in Psalm 66, 18, that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me? Either through worship or prayer, the Lord will not hear me if I have sin in my heart. If I harbor it there. Why is that? Why is it that the Lord would not hear our worship just because we have sin in our heart? It's because there's only room for one on the throne. That's it. There's only room. There's, there's, there's one seat on the throne of your heart and that seat is either for Jesus Christ or it is for you and your sin. And whatever it is you want to hang on to and whatever it is I want to hang on to that I want to put on the throne of my heart, that becomes an idol and Jesus will not be worshipped in the presence of those idols. See, He won't be worshipped when there's idols in the temple. Now, I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about in the New Testament how the temple of the Holy Spirit is the believer himself, herself. And this is the temple now. The Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of us and there is no room there for an idol and the worship of Jesus Christ. Only room for Jesus. Throne fit for one. So my question to you today is, is there any idol in your heart, mind, life that you need to get rid of? Is there any sin in your life that you've been holding on to that has hindered your worship? Perhaps you need to get rid of some of those things in your life so that your temple can be cleansed of those idols so that you can worship in spirit and in truth right now. Perhaps that's you. If that's you, what I want you to do is I want you to come as we begin a time of invitation. And I want you to get rid of that sin in your life. It doesn't really matter what I want you to do. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to kick that off of the throne and occupy that space in your heart. So if that's you, when we have a time of invitation in just a moment, I want you to come. If you're in here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior before, but you've seen that genuine worship today and you want to trust Him as your Savior right now, let the day be the day of your salvation, just like that jailer who was saved. And I'm going to be waiting right here to receive you if you want to come and trust Him as your Savior. I know the deacons would be glad to talk with you as well. So if God has dealt with your heart, you come. Let's pray together. And then we'll stand for a time of invitation. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the powerful example you've showed us of worship in the scripture. Help us to worship you like Paul and Silas. Lord, many of us don't even know that kind of pain. Some of us may. But Lord whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever distractions we're dealing with today, I pray you'd help us put that aside in this moment of worship, in this moment of invitation, in this moment of response to you. I pray, Father, 
There will be those in here today who would respond to you right now in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.